0: What do you wonder? That we all wonder to some extent. Um, Sometimes our wonder leads to fear. Sometimes we wonder because we're afraid. Sometimes our wonder leads to courage. Sometimes our wonder leads to discovery. In fact, most of the discoveries in science and other arenas happen when someone starts to wonder. I wonder, the sun seems to be round, the moon seems to be round, I wonder if the earth is round as well. That if there is a God, and I believe there is a personal God, This might be one of the greatest gifts that God has given us, the ability to wonder. But as we said, as we started this series, we all actually wonder through a very specific frame of reference. that we're sort of illustrating here with this window. And part of the reason that we wonder, though, is because our frame of reference doesn't provide us with all the answers. Our frame of reference is limited. And we're limited in our ability to see the world the way the world actually is, the way the world really is, because our frame of reference Is limited and so consequently um, theists wonder like why in the world do bad things happen to good people we wonder as theists but we wonder through a very theistic a frame of reference that's the way that we see the world and then for those of you who aren't theists maybe you're agnostics or atheists you sort of wonder why us theists are so naive right but you also wonder how natural selection can somehow provide stardust and energy with the ability to wonder, which is what we are to some people, right? We all wonder, but we all wonder through a specific frame of reference, the way that we see the world. And Christians have believed from the very beginning that God showed up on our side of the frame to be a point of reference. And that's through the birth of Jesus. That's really why we celebrate Christmas, that really Jesus came to stand inside on our side of the frame as a reference so that we could know with certainty what God is like. And last week we looked at something that a first century writer had to say about this. Um, We're not exactly sure who the writer actually is. So the book is called, or the letter is called Hebrews because that's who it was written to, that's who the audience was. And these first century Christian Hebrews or Hebrew Christians um, really thought this was so valuable that they copied it and then they would distribute it. And then about the fourth century it actually became part of the Bible. And this first century author says, to his audience who was sort of losing faith or losing sort of their frame of reference at their time, he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And he's saying that Jesus was the pioneer and perfecter because Jesus was the originator, Jesus was the first one to start this. And the author sort of reminds us with this very simple statement that our frame of reference really should be all about Jesus. That Jesus began this and as, as anything relates to Christianity, it circles around Jesus. That when it comes to a Christian frame of reference or worldview, the issue is not theology. The issue is not a philosophy. The, the issue is not even a belief system. The issue is a person. And that person is Jesus. That Jesus got it started, and he wrapped up everything that we would need to know about it. That Christianity begins and ends with a person. So today, I really want to talk to two groups of people. The first group of people is those who have already left their religious frame of reference. So you would say, yeah I sort of grew up with a Christian frame of reference, but then life happened and I experienced some things and I just didn't think I could do it anymore." The second group of people is those of you who are considering leaving or maybe you already considered leaving in the past. That There are those of you who uh, maybe considered yourself a Christian, and you sort of went to church or you went to camp, you you got the t-shirt, you prayed the prayer, But now sort of life seems to be taking you in a way that you're considering leaving your experience or leaving your religious frame of reference because you've experienced things in your life that just don't line up with the faith that you were handed as a child or the faith that you adopted as a teenager or you adopted as an adult. And I'm really kind of intrigued by these deconversion stories. That's what that really is. That deconversion meaning someone who grew up with a frame of reference that was Christian but then later on in life left it or abandoned it. And generally this happens like during college or right after college or in the early young adult years of life. And the interesting thing is that these stories rarely have anything to do with Jesus. But these stories always have something to do with these windows, these window panes, these frame of reference to which they interpret, view, and look at life. Because usually their experience doesn't line up with the version of faith that they were raised with. And this is true for so many people, maybe this is true for you, that what you were taught to believe doesn't line up with your experience, it doesn't line up with what you've seen in the world. And consequently, maybe you find yourself leaning towards the door to step outside of a religious frame of reference. Because every religion, every version of religion works as a child, right? Every version of religion works as a child. But then life happens. And maybe for you, the seeds were sown as a child for you to eventually leave. Maybe you grew up and your parents couldn't agree on religion. And so you're just like, well, that makes it so much easier for me to sort of just leave religion and walk away or to question it. Maybe for some of you, you grew up in an extraordinary home and it was just so great. But but eventually, once you left that perfect home bubble environment that you were in, you started to realize that things weren't as good as you thought they were maybe for everybody else. Or maybe weren't as good as you thought to start with. And then there's this uh, high school, college, trade school, grad school, med school, law school, that our education becomes a frame of reference or a filter through which we see the world. We really shouldn't deny that. We really can't deny that. And then there's this. This is our religious experience. Uh, Whether you grew up in a church, a synagogue, a mosque, Maybe your religious experience was was great, or maybe it was a little bit disruptive. Or maybe you grew up in a very legalistic religious experience, where you, had to, you felt like you had to do everything perfect, or you couldn't stay in. And maybe that worked for your brother and sister because they were sort of perfect, but it never seemed to work for you. And whether this is a part of your life still today or not, this frame of reference impacts the way that you see all religion and all responses to religion. And then there's this, um, this is sort of me messing up, (laughs) and this is sort of the example maybe for some of us, we've messed up, there's things in our life that we hope nobody finds out about, we have regrets, we sort of all do in many regards, and these seasons of life that we wish we could sort of go back and change, we wish we could sort of just erase them, but now they become a filter through which we see the world, they are for you and they are for me. And then maybe some of you, you you got the worst news of your life, that he or she doesn't want to stay married anymore, that your parents split up. You found out it was terminal. You were with that company, you thought you'd be with that company forever, and now you find yourself sort of packing up your desk. And you aren't exactly sure what happened, but you are so angry. This thing that you sort of just can't get past its sort of like a barrier in your life that sort of keeps you in and keeps other people out. It's that insecurity or that fear that you sort of just live with and you know it impacts everything in your life. It's that its that thing that, that sort of keeps you from going. It keeps you from showing up. It keeps you from speaking up. It keeps you from living life. And then if we needed a little name to that thing, Uh, We're all sort of realizing that this is a filter through which we're seeing life right now. We're all in this filter of COVID. This is impacting the way that we see the world for all of us. But I think for many of us, we want to sort of think that um, we are bigger than all of this. That we've sort of moved past this or we're able to see through this. And this isn't really going to impact the way that we see the world. When it comes to the way that we view God, our relationships, love, our kids, our money to think that somehow our frame of reference doesn't really impact how we see the world, that we've sort of grown past this. But that's not true for you, and it's not true for me, that our frame of reference is marked, shaded, and jaded by the experiences that we directly participated in and the things that we had no control over. And the proof is this, often we can see how our frame of, or often we cannot see how our frame of reference impacts us. But often we can see very clearly how others' frame of reference impacts them. That that time when you heard your mom and dad's entire story, maybe after they passed away, and you realized, oh, that's why they are the way that they are. And you sort of see that that's that's what impacted their life. When you got all the information about your parents' divorce, and you're like, oh, now I understand. That when we get a glimpse of other people's frame of reference, we can see and their, their life sort of starts to make sense to us because we know that their experience and their reactions, their responses to life were just a reflection of the way that they were seeing the world. And they were looking at life through this, this frame of reference and that's why they responded. That's why they acted the way that they did. The same is true for me and the same is true for you. So here's a question for discussion. What are the most significant frames of your life. How do they impact the way that you experience life? We're talking about how our frame of reference is impacted by our childhood, our education, our religious experience, our shame and regret, our pain and tragedy, our fear and insecurity. They become a way through which we filter or we view life all around us. And we want to convince ourselves that this doesn't impact the way that we see the world, but it does. Now, here's the powerful thing. When Jesus stepped onto the planet, his first century followers had a frame of reference that was full of jaded pains. That their frame of reference was so distorted and so marred that the first century audience that Jesus was talking about had things in their frame of reference that included this. If you are sick or in pain, it's because God is punishing you. If you're healthy and wealthy, it's because God loves you. If you have some sort of illness or sickness or your children have a sickness or illness, it's because God is angry angry with you and they couldn't quite figure out at that time like if they were God's favored people or not because God seemed to be allowing the Romans to continue to conquer them until God did something for them that ultimately he did the same thing for you. He sent Someone he sent someone to their side of the frame to be a point of reference for them That this is really what Christmas is all about. This is what we're talking about in this season and towards the end of Jesus' life, he sort of told his guys, like, I want to go celebrate Passover. I want to celebrate this festival in Jerusalem. So eventually they sort of got there and they celebrate this. But then a few hours after Passover, Jesus would be arrested, tried, and crucified. So during this meal, though, all of his guys, his closest followers, are sort of gathered around. They're celebrating this meal. They're talking. They're having this conversation. And John records for us this conversation. But then Jesus gives his followers... The worst news possible. He says, I'm leaving. To which the followers thought like he was leaving and they were supposed to stay. And like that was bad news for them because if they were supposed to stay and Jesus was going to go, then the only reason they weren't arrested so far was because they were with Jesus. And the crowds followed Jesus everywhere and they protected Jesus. So if they leave, they're now in trouble as well. We're going to be in John chapter 13. If you want to follow along the Bible app, click the more menu option, then select events. And you can find our notes and verses The notes and verses will also be in the notes section of the chat and on the screen as well. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 36. Again, Jesus says, I'm leaving. And so Peter, the unofficial spokesperson, says this, Lord, where are you going? (laughs) That's kind of the obvious question to ask, right? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? Peter asked, I'm ready to die for you. Now, Peter might be thinking, like, if I stay here, like, it's not going to be good. I'm going to die anyhow, because if Jesus leaves, the crowds aren't going to be here to protect Jesus. And so I'm eventually going to die. So if I'm eventually going to die, I might as well go and be with you and die for you. Right. Peter might also been thinking, like, Jesus, you're going to go and declare yourself the Messiah. So I want to go with you. and I want to be there for that because that's kind of the power moment. You know, I want to be there for that whole situation. But either way, Peter wants you to know, like, I'm here for you. I'm going to be there for you. And I'm even willing to die for you. And do you know what Peter was doing? Peter was doing what we do a lot of times. He was looking at life through his frame of reference, through his um, experience of what he was taught about the Messiah, through his frame of reference about what he experienced in life and the failures he had in life. He was looking at life through his own lens, his own frame of reference. And Jesus probably looks at Peter, you know, maybe he's smiling. I don't think he's angry at this point, but he says this in verse 38. Jesus says, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And this probably doesn't make any sense to Peter because, again, Peter's looking at life through his frame of reference. But then Jesus says this in verse uh, 1 of chapter 14, Don't let your hearts be troubled. And the disciples probably respond out loud or maybe they just respond in their hearts like, Don't be troubled. Like You just told us the, like, the worst news possible. Like Of course we're going to be troubled. That's like terrible news. And this next statement from Jesus is when all the people in the room, they should have just left and just sort of left Jesus alone. He says this in the rest of verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. To which they're probably thinking like telling us about God is one thing. Telling us to trust in you is something completely different. Equating yourself to God is something completely entirely different. Like we want you to tell us about God because we want to understand But then somehow saying that we can trust in you the same way that we can trust in God—that's just blasphemous, and we should probably leave. Continuing on verse two, there is more than enough room in my father's house, and they knew that when he meant father, when he said father, they knew he meant God. That's who they meant. So they're talking about God's house, and all the Jewish men and women would have understood God's house means the temple. They would have equated those two together. Continuing on verse two, there is more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so. Would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? To which they think, like, what are you even talking about, Jesus? Like, we're not exactly sure what you're talking about. And then Jesus continues on, and he probably looks to Peter and says, Peter, pay attention to this. Here's your answer. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And then it sort of starts to dawn on them, like, If you're going to go to your father's house, that probably means you're going to leave this world, which probably means death. And you're going to come and take us as well. Like, okay, Jesus, like, we don't want to come with you because that's not where we want to go. Right. And then Jesus says, and you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know where you're going. and We don't even know why you're going there. So Thomas sort of speaks up and says something. He says, no, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Like, you keep talking as if we're smarter than we actually are. We're like, we're not theologians. We're not even following this conversation that we're having right now, Jesus. Like, we're not exactly sure what you're saying. And then Jesus makes this statement, this famous statement, that's usually sort of just ripped out of this context today uh, that most of us have read about. If you're not a Christian or you're not a Jesus follower, this statement that somebody maybe tried to explain to you or maybe they told to you might be part of the reason that you aren't a Jesus follower. And this next statement from Jesus, unfortunately, has been used by the church to exclude people. But if you look at what Jesus is trying to say in context, he's not trying to keep anybody out. Jesus is trying to sort of explain the fact that I've come to your side of the frame to be a point of reference because your Heavenly Father wants everyone in. Otherwise, why do you think I'm here at all? He continues on verse 5. No, we don't know, Lord Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus knows, everybody's looking through their own frame of reference, but he still says this. He says, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That Jesus tells us, you don't have to figure out the way. You don't have to look out there for the way. I am the way. You don't have to look out there for the truth or figure out what is truth. I'm all the truth that you'll ever be able to comprehend. You don't have to look out there for eternal life or find out what life is all about. Life beyond this life. I've come to offer you, give you an invitation for eternal life. That it doesn't take away all the wonder and mystery, but addresses the primary wonder. And it takes away some of the mystery. What is God like and does God like me? He continues on. And Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That again, he sort of equates himself with God. And this isn't sort of like saying like, ha ha ha, like you can't get to God because you have to line up in front of me or unless you line up in front of me. No, Jesus is trying to explain that the invitation is wide open for every single person, regardless of how they were raised, regardless of what they know or don't know, regardless of how they viewed God before this, regardless of their shame and pain, regardless of their tragedy that they've experienced, regardless of their fear and insecurity. That everyone is welcome and everyone gets in the same way. Now, we're not typically like an amen kind of church, but can I get an amen to this, right? This is a statement of equality, not exclusion. Continuing on, John chapter 14, verse 7, Jesus says, If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, they're thinking through a very literal frame of reference, which maybe is another frame of reference that some of us look at life through. We look at life through a very literal frame of reference. But basically, they're probably thinking, no, we haven't seen him. We want to see him. We wouldn't be having the conversation otherwise. We want to know what God is like. That's why we're having this conversation. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied that we want to see past our brokenness. We want to see past our great or not so great education. We want to see past how other people presented God to us. We want to see past our shame and our regret. We want to see past our fear and insecurity. We just want to see God, maybe Philip would say. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? That basically Jesus would say what the same writer of Hebrews would say, don't look out there, look at me. I'm right here with you. I'm the one you're supposed to look at. And anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That your Heavenly Father wants you to see clearly. That's why he sent Jesus. And with all the mysteries, wondering, and all the things yet to be discovered in this world, God wanted it to be so clear that he sent a person. Now, if you're kind of on the outside of Christianity, or you sort of have never been on the inside of Christianity, this next verse is what it's really all about. Verse 11. Believe me. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Believe me. And this is where clarity really starts. That your frame of reference can help bring clarity to your life. But this is where eternal clarity begins. And then Jesus, because he's really so compassionate, he wants everyone to know him. He says this. He wants everybody to believe in him. He says this. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least, he says, believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So as we wrap up, here's two things that you should know. Virtually no scholars doubt that there was a historical Jesus. And virtually no, uh, virtually no scholars doubt that Jesus' first century followers were the ones who sort of kicked off the church and got the church going in the weeks or months after Jesus' death and resurrection. So here's why this is so important. And here's the question that you have to wrestle with yourself. How did this group of scared, insecure men go on to later boldly proclaim that Jesus was the Son of God? How did that happen? Because they were afraid and insecure at one point, and then later they're bold and courageous at another. How did this this confused group of men who kept asking Jesus the same questions over and over again, how did this group of men who were so afraid that they didn't want to be identified as a Jesus follower, that they would lie to a middle school girl? How did this group who saw Jesus die the most shameful death imaginable eventually turn around and a few weeks later boldly proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah that they had been waiting for? Because when they saw him alive, they fixed their eyes on Jesus and they never took them off him again. That that's the reason why. And they changed the world after that. That was sort of what led to the change. That it was the evidence of Jesus' resurrection this sort of pushed them or helped direct them. And they saw and believed that evidence, and that's what helped them to move forward. And Jesus's point is simply, if you look past, stop short of, or take your eyes off of Jesus, you may miss God. And God wanted it to be so clear that he sent a person. And Jesus says, I'm as close as you'll ever get to understanding God in this life, so focus your eyes on me, Jesus would say. He would say, basically, don't abandon your faith because of the wrong frame of reference, which some of us, we might have the wrong frame of reference. And we think like, well, God, like how can bad things happen to good people and all that kind of stuff? If we were really focusing on Jesus, I think Jesus would say, um, hello, like I'm the best person and the worst, terrible, most worst thing happened to me. Like if you're really fixing your eyes on me, you might not worry about the wrong frame of reference. You might not see life through the wrong frame of reference. I can help direct you and guide you to the right frame of reference. So here's what I'd like you to do between now and Christmas. I want you to read the Gospel of Luke. And as you're reading the Gospel of Luke, I want you to try to tune out all of these different frames of reference that are going to try to get in the way or might get in the way. And I want you to stay focused on Jesus that you're reading about. Focus on the Jesus that you're reading about. Because really, we're all going to wonder. We're all going to wonder at some point. But in the days of Caesar Augustus, God sent Jesus to stand with us so we wouldn't have to wonder where we stood with Jesus. God, that's one thing that we don't have to wonder about. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus. Thank you for this Christmas season. when Really, everyone in the world has the invitation to uh, know about God and to know about Jesus. Because you would send someone to our side. That there's so many things that can be hard for us to understand about God because of our frame of reference and the way that we see the world. We don't always see the world accurately or, or there's been things that have just been painful and, and troubling to us that have caused us to, to not want to look towards God or to look a different direction or maybe to just miss God. So God, right now, would you help those who are struggling, those who feel like they're on the outside, those who feel like they, they used to be apart, they used to walk with you and they used to have a relationship with you, but now they're sort of unsure. God, would you help them to sort of look at their frames of reference and see if there's some frames they shouldn't look at. But maybe more importantly, would you help all of us to focus on you in this season? When it's so easy to focus on our fear, on our insecurity, on COVID, on our um, other so many other things, God. Would you help us to focus on you? And God, would you please um, help us in this season that is full of some great things. And it's going to be different this year. But God, for the presents and the lights and the cocoa and the, all the different things that Christmas brings. Would you also help us to to see you in those things? That we wouldn't get distracted by all the good things that are during this season, but God, that you would help us to stay focused on you. God, we're so grateful for the gift, the ultimate gift that you gave us of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.